Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. got a Bible, would you open it to Matthew chapter 18? And we'll be starting in verse 21 when we start. We have, uh, we're not just planning to move into a building, uh, we're planning to move into forgiveness. We are planning to follow Jesus into forgiveness. And last week we talked about the what of forgiveness. What is forgiveness? This week we're going to talk about why we forgive. Why would we forgive? What is our motivation to forgive? Uh, forgiveness is not optional for you if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus. It's a sacred duty. It's a mandate for us. Um, everyone here has been hurt. Everyone here has been wounded. And uh, we go through life experiencing pain. Uh, We've also actually hurt and wounded others. And that's why forgiveness is such an important experience for us. Because without it, we would drown in an ocean of pain, um, regret, shame, bitterness, anger. Every one of us has, has been wounded. And every one of us has wounded someone. So last week we touched on the importance of forgiveness, which I'm I'm sure you've probably heard. If you, if you, uh, especially if you were raised in church, you understand that important the importance of forgiveness. We brought definition to forgiveness by talking about six things that forgiveness is not, and six things that forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not approval. Uh, Forgiveness is not excusing what someone did. Forgiveness is not reconciling with someone. Those are two separate things. Forgiveness is not denying what someone has done. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We don't typically forgive and forget. Um, Forgiveness is not neglecting justice. I would encourage you, if you were not here last week... We made uh, copies of the sermon and have left them on the back table. Would you please grab one before you leave? It's, we're building something here. We're talking about what forgiveness is. We're talking about why we forgive. And then we're going to talk next week about how we forgive. So it's important that you catch every one of these along the way. True forgiveness is this. It's releasing something held closely or trapped. Forgiveness is a release Um, true forgiveness is choosing to keep no record of wrongs. True forgiveness is refusing to punish. True forgiveness is being merciful. True forgiveness comes uh, from the heart. True forgiveness is the absence of bitterness. There are two options for you when you get hurt. Just two. You can forgive or you can get bitter. 
And forgiveness is the absence of bitterness. And forgiveness, true forgiveness, is ongoing. It's not a one-time event. So if you weren't here last week and didn't hear us talk about these things, please either get onto our website and listen to the sermon or pick up uh, one of them as you leave today. Um, What I shared last week, a lot of what I shared last week, is from a book called The Art of Forgiveness by a guy named Lewis Smedes. A great book. Terrible name. I think the art of forgiveness is a terrible name. For anyone who is here and has tried to forgive, it's really far from art. Am I right? I mean, I know the artistic process is sometimes messy, but when I think of art, I think of something beautiful, something refined. And that's not what I think of when I think of forgiveness. I think of something that is bloody. I think of something that is messy. I think of something that is more like war. And I know that there are those of you here today, and you actually consider war to be art. I'm not with you on that. I know that there, if you're here today and you consider mixed martial arts to be an art, then that's fine. You can call forgiveness an art. I don't consider mixed martial arts to be art either. It's so, you guys are so funny. It's like a... I don't know, it it is, it's like beautiful to you to watch some sort of cage match. It's beautiful to you to watch someone get, you know, (laughs) beat while on his back. I I don't understand it, I'll be watching these things with you, and you're going like, he got him in a guillotine, it's beautiful, you know? (laughs) He got him in a guillotine by first breaking his guard by laying his nose open with his elbow, It's incredible. This is art, what's happening. So if you consider mixed martial arts art, then that's fine. Call forgiveness art. But for the rest of us, really forgiving, truly forgiving, is very messy, very confusing at times. Um, Joseph... He's one of the major characters in the Bible, and he achieved his status in Scripture through, um, really through a tremendous amount of suffering and patience. I'm going to give you a snapshot of Joseph's life real quick. The first thing that happened to this guy Joseph was that his brothers sold him into slavery. And then they covered it up by telling their dad that he was attacked and killed. So his own brothers sold him into slavery. And what's interesting is that they didn't sell him into slavery because they needed money. They sold him into slavery because they couldn't stand him. So Joseph, he excelled as a slave. And he um, earned a top spot as a slave that he later lost because he was falsely accused. And for any of you here who have been falsely accused, um, you know that that's really difficult to let go of. But this is the second thing that happens to Joseph is he's falsely accused. So he was working for a guy named Potiphar and his wife wanted to, uh, is it okay for me to say get with Joseph at church? His wife wanted to get with Joseph. Joseph stood his ground and refused her. Um, 
she then got so upset that she accused Joseph of trying to sleep with her and Potiphar had Joseph thrown in prison. So for doing the right thing, he was thrown in prison. He had plenty of opportunities to get bitter. Um, Again, sold into slavery, betrayed by his family, falsely accused and then imprisoned for something that he did not do. Um, And to top it all off, God had let all this stuff happen. So there's some incredible opportunities for this guy, Joseph, to get bitter, uh, especially as someone who was suffering for doing good. Later on in Joseph's life, things begin to look up for him. And he finally runs into his brothers again. And they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And when Joseph comes face to face with his brothers, he also comes face to face with his need to forgive. And the Bible records what happens when he, when he sees his brothers. And I want to read it to you. Actually, I want to I read you the way that the message paraphrases it. When Joseph saw his brothers, he couldn't hold himself in any longer. He couldn't keep up a front before all his attendants. He cried out, leave, clear out, everyone leave. So there was no one with Joseph when he identified himself to his brothers. But his sobbing was so violent that the Egyptians couldn't help but hear him. The news was soon reported to Pharaoh's palace. Forgiveness is messy. Forgiveness, true forgiveness, typically comes with violent sobbing and groans. Forgiveness is painful. When we ask someone to forgive, it's almost like we're asking someone to suffer twice. They need to suffer the wrong, and then they suffer again by swallowing it. They suffer the other person's assault, and then they have to suffer a second injury and swallow the insult. So why, why would we do this? If it's messy, if it's painful, if it's difficult, we all know that it's difficult. What motivates us to forgive? What motivates us to release those who have hurt us? What motivates us to let go of the things that we're holding on to? Why would we forgive? Why would we declare war on unforgiveness and bitterness? There is a great risk in forgiveness. There is. There's a risk in forgiveness. There is a greater risk in unforgiveness. There's a greater risk in holding on to what you're holding on to right now. So this morning, I just want to touch on three, three, three good reasons to forgive. I know that there are more than, than three. I know that you may be able to come up with better ones than I have, but I just, I'm going to touch on three reasons why we should forgive. And the first is that 
he said to. Jesus commanded it. And we, church, are his disciples. We are his pupils. We are learning to do everything that he taught. The reason, stick with me here, the reason that I think that we are so bad at forgiveness, the reason that mercy marks our God and doesn't mark his church, the reason that as a church we are so bad at forgiveness is because we have too many Christians and too few disciples. I'll I'll explain it, maybe. I'll try to explain what I mean and we'll see if it works. The word Christian appears three times in Scripture. Jesus never used it. Paul never used it. It's used three times in the Bible. The word disciple appears 260 times in Scripture. Dallas Willard uh, said this about the, about the New Testament. The New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples of Jesus. The word disciple means learner or pupil. And Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, charged his disciples with the task of making disciples. You've heard this passage before, but I'll read it again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. According to Jesus, a disciple has a very simple task in life. Simple in theory, I guess. Not simple in application. Simple in theory. A disciple has one simple task in life, and that is to learn and obey what Jesus taught. The passage says, and teach them, not just teach them what I taught you, teach them to obey what I taught you. Many of us have learned what Jesus said about forgiveness. Many, much of what I'll be sharing with you today about forgiveness won't be new to you. You've learned what Jesus taught on forgiveness. You've not learned to obey what Jesus taught about forgiveness. One is significantly more difficult than the other. Today, we seem to communicate to people that you should first become a Christian and then, sometime down the road, work on becoming a disciple. We allow the impression that Jesus, that obeying Jesus is something that you can put off until later. Like... um, Like changing the oil in your car. Oh yeah, I know I should at 3,000 miles, but it's not going to kill it to go to five. Like the diet that starts tomorrow, right? The Monday diet that starts. (laughs) 
discipleship in the church is treated like honors courses in high school. You can take them if you want to, but they're not essential to graduate. Church. Discipleship is essential to graduate. And you become a disciple upon conversion. Being a Christian and being a disciple aren't two separate things. Here's what I want to say about this, and this is why I bring this up. Is because before Jesus ever called you to forgive, he called you to be a disciple. And if you're here struggling with forgiveness, you might not actually be struggling with forgiveness. You might be struggling with discipleship. If you can stop asking yourself the question, can I possibly forgive? Can I do that? And answer the question, can I be a disciple? Can I follow Jesus? Because if you can follow Jesus and answer his call to discipleship, then you can answer the question, can I forgive? No one reads the Gospels and walks away with this impression that following Jesus is going to be easy. That makes sense. No problem. I'll do that tomorrow. The expectations that Jesus had for how his disciples would treat each other are scary. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or seven times seven, depending on your translation. This passage... um, Nothing short of, of astounding, but it's got nothing compared to what Jesus asks us to do with our enemies. Listen to this one. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're charged with the task of not just teaching people what Jesus taught. We're charged with the task of teaching people to obey what he taught. And many of us have learned what he said. We've just not learned to obey. And that's what we're in the process of doing. Learning to obey what he commanded. There is a um, cost to discipleship. But the greater cost in the end is in undiscipleship. If you're struggling to forgive today, and last week as I talked about what forgiveness was, you were thinking, can I do this? Maybe the answer for you is that you would give up on merely being a Christian and that today you would become a disciple.
Forgiveness. Do it. Do it because you're a disciple. Do it because he commanded it. Do it when it seems irrational. Do it over and over again and see what happens. The second reason, good reason, I think it's a great reason to forgive is that we have been forgiven. Matthew 18, verse 21 says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Then he jumps into a, a parable to come alongside of what he just told Peter. He said, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this time, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, Let him go. Peter, who is a disciple, comes to Jesus and says, How do I do it? How do I forgive? How many times should I do it? How many times should I forgive? And Jesus essentially says to him by telling this parable, Peter, it's really important When you're struggling to forgive, to remember that you are a sinner who has been forgiven. Remember this, Peter. When you're struggling to forgive, remember that you yourself are a sinner and that God has canceled your debts. Ironically, when someone hurts us. The first thing we forget is our own sinfulness. As the hurt party, we assume that we're the innocent party. The first thing that goes, that's why Jesus is saying to Peter, hey look, when you're struggling to do this, remember this, you're a sinner. There was debt And God has canceled your debt. Remember this. It'll make forgiveness so much easier if you remember this. It's the first thing that goes when we get hurt. Anyone who is struggling to forgive has probably lost sight of their own need for forgiveness. I don't know about you guys, but when we've been hurt, it's hard to focus on anything but what that person has done to us. It's all that we're focused on. We are sinners. We're in need of forgiveness. This is really important to remember when we're striving to forgive. What is uh, sin? Thought, 
because the Lord knows your thoughts. It's word, because he hears what you say. It's deed, because he sees what's going on. And it's motive, because he knows why you do what you do. Sin is both commission. We commit sins by doing what God told us not to do. And there are also sins of omission, where we do not do what God told us to do. And let me tell you that the sins of omission are just as important as the sins of commission. You'll have to account for those things before him as well one day. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. The Bible says, Who can say I have kept my hands pure and clean? I am without sin. And the answer is no one. No one can say that. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We all know the scriptures. We've all heard it before. Let me tell you, when you've been hurt, it's the first thing to go. Jesus, when he's telling us this parable, he likens sin to debt. And I love that because probably most of us here are in debt, right? And we get statements monthly trying to reckon that debt. This is what went, these are the transactions. This is what went on this month. And this is what is owed. Imagine if we got one of these statements monthly from God. Imagine if we had a glimpse of our month. Imagine if God sent us a statement that listed out our sins each month and reminded us what we owed. We seem to be really uh, aware of our financial debt and really unaware of our spiritual debt. The really interesting thing about a statement that you would receive from God is at the bottom where it says minimum payment due, it would say death. Because the wages of sin is death. Sin leads to death. Our debt needs a sacrifice. And you know, what's funny is we look back on that and we think, oh, that's so primitive. The same is true today. The economy goes south. You better believe someone's going to lose their job. Someone needs to pay. For those teams that didn't succeed in the NCAA tournament, you better believe that that coach is gone. If things aren't going right, if there's sin, if we're missing the mark, someone or something has to be sacrificed. This is why we're so excited about Jesus. This is why we worship Jesus here. Is that we had debt. And it was growing monthly. And we were receiving statements. And we were feeling the consequences of our sin. And sin was in many of our relationships leading to death. And Jesus went to the cross canceling our debt. He's taken the statement 
that was against us, that we were receiving over and over again. And he's gotten rid of it. He's canceled our debt. This is the, this is the truth that this parable is trying to communicate to us. The truth that this uh, parable is trying to communicate to us is that God is not making you pay. Why are you continuing to make others pay? God is not withholding from you. Why are you holding on to debts? God has canceled your debts. No longer sending you statements. Why are you hiding? Why are you holding debts over other people's heads? Why are you still reminding people that they owe you by withholding your service and love? Peter, when you need to forgive, remember this, that you also need to be forgiven. And I know some of you are probably sitting here and you're like, yeah, that's true. I know this is classic. I know that I'm not perfect. But at least I didn't do this. I thank you, God, that I'm not like this. I know I've got my struggles, but they're not like this. When something happens and when someone hurts us, we get caught up in the emotions of the pain and forget that the yardstick for moral comparison is not the person who hurt us, but it's God himself. Well, at least I didn't do that. Yeah, I know I didn't handle it perfectly, but at least I didn't do what they did. When we get hurt, we need to remember that the, the yardstick for moral comparison is not the other person who hurt us, but God himself. There were some people that were... Um, that Jesus tells this other story to a group of people who are really confident in their own righteousness. And these these people looked down on everyone else. And Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. That was his prayer. That's the way it started. God, thank you that I'm not like that guy. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, evildoers. I thank you that I'm not like an evildoer. Or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says this, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Saying things and praying things like, I thank you, I am not like this guy, will never be enough to justify you before God. If you want to be right and you want to be justified before God, pray like this, Lord have mercy on me, a sinner. If you want to be in right standing with God, pray like this, Lord have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Isaiah uh, spends the first six chapters of his book declaring woes to people. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And this is what prophets did. They declared blessings and they declared woes. And he spends six chapters declaring woes to people. And then God shows up. And And all of a sudden, 
Isaiah is standing in God's holiness and in God's purity. And he becomes aware of his condition. And then he starts pronouncing woes to himself. Woe to me. Isaiah's vision of God gave him a clear understanding of himself. And that is something that most of us are missing when we've got unforgiving hearts. That's something that's been lost along the way when we have unforgiving hearts. When we ask for forgiveness, or or sorry, when we sin, we ask for forgiveness. We repent, as Eric said earlier. This is what we do as Christians. This is how you get into the club. You repent. And when we've been sinned against, we forgive. The third uh, good reason to forgive is that if we do not forgive, we will be turned over to the consequences of our unforgiveness. Stick with me here and keep reading. This is Jesus' parable to Peter. So this guy has been... uh, He's been released from a massive debt. The king has canceled the debt that was against his life. And this is what the man goes out and does. But when that... Please, hear this again for the first time. These are scary, scary red letters. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, He went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. So news got back to this king that the man that he had just released was now choking people out and sending people to prison. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Jesus ends the parable by saying this, This is how, this is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This passage was unsettling to me this week. It's actually been this for a couple weeks. 
Because I think I've always heard from people, we forgive because we've been forgiven. We, be, we forgive because we've been forgiven. There's been such a great debt, God canceled it, we forgive because we've been forgiven. I was reading red letters that were telling me this week that I forgive in order to be forgiven. And I thought to myself, which one is it? Do we forgive because we've been forgiven or do we forgive in order to be forgiven? And I wrestled and I tried to make sense of it. And you're probably sitting here wondering, you know, which one is it? Do we forgive because we've been forgiven or do we forgive in order to be forgiven? And the answer is yes. That's what I came to. Both. I don't know. But I know that Jesus told this parable to a group of people that he was looking to interrupt. They had an idea of who they thought God was. This passage was unsettling. And I think it should be unsettling for all of us. So get this. The third good reason to forgive is that we will be imprisoned and tormented if we don't. If we do not forgive, we will be turned over to the consequences of our unforgiveness. I can't think of a better way to describe what many of us are experiencing here today than bondage and torment. You are trapped because of your unforgiveness. There are walls, there are things that you can't get beyond because of your unforgiveness. You are tormented emotionally because of your bitterness. You're tormented physically because of your bitterness. Prison and torture is a fantastic way to describe bitterness and unforgiveness. God will not torment you. God will not jail you. But this passage tells us that he will turn you over to the jailer to be tortured. He turns us over to the consequences of our unforgiveness and a hope that you'll experience the consequences. Turn from your sin and start to forgive your brother from your heart. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought that God loves me. I thought that's what I came here to hear. He does. But a couple things that you need to understand about God's love. God's love is like a fire. And a fire is inviting, it's warm, it's comforting. And a fire is also dangerous, purifying, 
and consuming. God's love also has a future orientation, which for those of us who are here and our parents understand. As parents, our love for our kids has a future orientation. We discipline our kids and we don't mind causing them discomfort in the moment. We don't mind being the villain in the moment because our love has more than the moment in mind. Our love for our kids has a future orientation. God's love for you has a future orientation. God's love for you is like a fire, warm, inviting, comforting. Oh, a fire draws you in. And God's love is a fire, get out of here. (laughs) Consuming, purifying, dangerous. Hebrews 12 tells us that the Lord disciplines those that he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as a son. This word means that he actually scourges those that he loves. You uh, might be here today and you might be physically sick because you have not forgiven You're here today and you feel like because of your unforgiveness and being bitter that you're tormented emotionally. There's good news in this passage. God gives us a very real promise that the torment will end and we will be released from prison when we forgive from our heart, but we are trapped until we are imprisoned until we choose to forgive. The torment will not end until you forgive, and once you forgive, it will end immediately. You'll be free, and this is what God wants for you. Today, the Lord wants you to be delivered from the prison of unforgiveness and wants you to be delivered from the torment of bitterness. This, uh, the point of this parable, because I, I got really wrapped up in this this week, trying to figure out what exactly Jesus meant here. And again, after reading and reading and reading... Um, I came to this simple conclusion, and I want to share it with you today. It would be foolish not to forgive. It would be foolish not to forgive. An unforgiving heart is not an option for you as a disciple. Jesus went to the cross so that we could be forgiven. And Jesus also went to the cross so that we could forgive. He made a way. I want to continue to remind you and I want to remember every week the body of Jesus broken for us. His blood shed for us. Jesus died for sins that he never committed 
to forgive a group of people that did not deserve to be forgiven. His body broken for you, his blood shed for you. We're going to open up the altar for those of you who know that you, you literally, you would describe your experience as torment. You feel tormented by your unforgiveness. You feel tortured emotionally, physically, financially. You can't understand what's going on. You feel trapped. You feel imprisoned by your unforgiveness and bitterness. We would love to pray for you. Because that will end when you forgive from your heart. God will turn you over to the consequences of your unforgiveness. Until we forgive our brothers and our sisters from our hearts. I'm going to pray. I'd encourage you to receive communion. Receive prayer if you know that this is you. A bitterness is is eating at you. If you want to sit, ask God to search you. You can sit and worship with us, pray with us. Feel free to respond by taking communion, by staying seated, by coming to the altar, by praying out, by getting prayer. Next week, we're going to talk about how we forgive. How do we do this? How practically do we forgive? Jesus, I want to thank you for not just... um, This is one of those times where I want to thank you for not just telling us what to do, but for showing us what to do. You came and you made a way through your body, broken for us, through your blood that was shed for us. I want to ask that your Holy Spirit would come and liberate captives. For those who feel tormented today by unforgiveness. For those who feel imprisoned by bitterness. For those that feel that there are walls that they can't get beyond. And inside they feel like they're shriveling up because they can't get outside. They feel trapped. They feel stuck. I ask that they would cry out to you. You'd give them grace to forgive their brothers and sisters from their hearts. And that the torment would end today. Thank you for your death, Jesus, that leads us to life. We worship you. Amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time.